Let us greet the day which assigns each of us his own home, which snatches us from the snares of the world and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. Anyone who has been in foreign lands longs to return to his own native land, and we regard paradise as our native land. Cyprian in the third century. May God's love be with you all. Our sermon text for today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. If you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. And I urge you with all your heart to open your ears and open your hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. 
The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple... is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says... You may be seated. Well, we're coming to the end of our series in the book of Revelation, and we have made it through the very difficult trials and tribulations of God's people. We have seen the defeat of the beasts and the whore and the dragon. And now we see the moment that we've all been waiting for, the moment promised to us from the very beginning of the book, the, the place and the time that the Lamb had promised the churches early on in this revelation of Himself to His people. The revelation of a new city temple, the revelation of the bride of Christ, the revelation of the new heavens and new earth. In order to understand better what this vision means, we need to hear it and see it as much as possible in light of the Old Testament. And I am aware that none of us knows the Old Testament as well as we ought. But let's make the best of this time that we have together and try to piece a few things together. I want you to know that what's happening in Revelation 21 is not something brand new fabricated out of thin air. What is revealed in Revelation 21 and 22 is something that has been on God's mind from all eternity and then revealed to us by shadows and types through the Old Testament. Specifically here, we have the unveiling of the temple of God. And as you saw and heard in the reading, the temple is not a place so much as it is a person. Throughout the Old Testament, God had hinted that He would establish a place in which His person would dwell among His people. 
In the Old Testament book of Samuel, God promised, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish my kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And in the Old Testament, King Solomon built the first temple of stone that became a house for the name of the Lord. Later on, that temple was destroyed because of the detestable things the people of God did, and they were sent away into exile for 70 years. But at the end of that 70 years, God brought them back to their land and called and commissioned them to build a new temple. When they came home from exile, God called Zerubbabel and Joshua, who were leaders of God's people, to build a second temple as a house for the name of the Lord God, which they finally did. But the temple house they built was the one that was smaller than the first one. It was ridiculed by some of the old-timers who knew that it wasn't as glorious as the one in the past. It was the one they continued to work on and tweak. And even in Jesus' day, that temple was standing. People were impressed in Jesus' day with the beauty of the stones and the structure. And Jesus said to his followers, Yeah, this is all amazing, but not one stone will be left on another. That temple was also torn down because of the detestable things the people of God did. Well, in between the building of the second temple and the destruction of the of the same, God revealed to his prophet Ezekiel something very similar to what we just heard in our reading here. God revealed that he would, in fact, build a temple, build a sanctuary for his people that would be so glorious, that would be so magnificent in size and scope that it boggled the imagination. No eye had seen, no ear had heard, no heart had imagined what God would do through the Messiah, through the Christ. And Isaiah and Ezekiel and the other prophets were calling God's people to look forward to the time when the Christ Christ would come and establish this promised house, this promised temple and kingdom, and he would do it by himself. You remember from our series in the Gospel of John that there was an occasion when Jesus said to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion, they were scared and they were worried about a lot of things, and he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he promised them that he was going to prepare a place for them and that he would come and take them, gather them up, and bring them to that place. He doesn't tell them what that place looked like, but think about it. Years later, the Apostle John, who was sitting there at Jesus' feet, listening to this instruction, years later, when John is no longer a young man, when he is an old man and his life is filled with trouble and turmoil, remember he is re receiving these visions as a man who is in exile on the island of Patmos. Okay, So he had the one-way, as we said earlier, had the one-way vacation to the island of Patmos, and he's not coming off of that island. It was then and there that God revealed through Jesus the ultimate plan and vision of His temple, of His city, of His garden paradise. And that's what brings us to this passage of Scripture in Revelation 21. All of the things God had hinted at and promised and revealed to His people are now finally 
come into fruition are being realized through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what I want you to see here as we make our way through this uh, and try to pull some things together is that John saw a vision of the place that Jesus was and is preparing for his people. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day at the beginning of the, of the book, and now at the end of the book, once again, he is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he's caught up by an angel in the Spirit to go see these things and then tell us what he sees. He's commanded to write it down for us. And what does he see? Well, as we, as we saw and heard in our Scripture reading, we see that John got a glimpse of what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what does this place look like? It is a new place where God's city comes down from heaven to dwell with man. A new place where God dwells with His people and they dwell with Him. It's a new place where God comforts His people and wipes away our tears and drives away our fears. It's a new place where God destroys death and restores life once and for all. It's a new place where all things literally work together for the glory of God and the good of His people. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is what He had in mind. He went to prepare the true and better temple of God, the one that was revealed to the prophets, the one that is now being fulfilled in front of John the Apostle's eyes. John saw the place that Jesus was preparing for us. What's interesting about this is with all of the language in the Old Testament about God promising to build a temple, promising to establish a temple, we get to Revelation 21 and smack dab in the middle of the vision. John's looking everywhere and he notices something is missing. In the heart of this city, he expects to find a temple and yet there is no temple. And it's in this moment that John realizes what we all realized with him. Is that there is no temple because the sacred place that Jesus is preparing for us is not a temple made of stones and cedar and gold and cloth. It is the presence of the personal, infinite, triune God. The most holy place is now revealed as the most holy person. And throughout this book, we've been singing that He is holy, holy, holy. The Word made flesh who once tabernacled with us and among us will be the temple in whom we shall tabernacle as we gather together to worship God in spirit and in truth in the new heavens and new earth. This vision shows us that at the end of all things, heaven and earth shall come together. They shall be united in Christ and no longer separated by sin. I realize that it is very common for us here in the United States of America, living in the Bible Belt, it's very common for us to have notions of going to heaven at some point when we die. We view going to heaven as a kind of escapism from the brutal realities of our life, a way to get, get away from it all, right? We want to get out of here, check out. And yet there's something very curious about this vision. In this vision, it is not the people of God who are called up to heaven. It is God in heaven who is coming down to man.
I asked someone before service tonight, do you want to go to heaven or do you want heaven to come to you? And I shared his answer. It really doesn't matter to me so long as I find the way in, right? Uh, we want to get in. But what I want you to see just for accuracy is that the gospel is even better than we imagine. See, if we simply imagine the gospel gives me a, a passage or gives me a ticket to go up into the sky into heaven, well, that's one thing. But still, I'm trying to figure out how do I get from here to there. My flesh wants to get involved. But the gospel actually says, no, it's God is going to come to you. This is what the gospel has always said. God is going to come to you. All major world religions are trying to give you a way to get from where you are up to God or up to paradise or up to nirvana, up to utopia. They all try to tell you how to do that. Only the Christian faith says that God reveals how He is going to come to you. That's really good news. The gospel is not about you going to God. It's about God coming to you. And He does that in Christ. So here we find at the end of all things that the end is not actually the end, but rather a new beginning. Heaven and earth come together. They're not separated. And now that you know what this temple is, I wonder if you desire even more to go there. I pray that you will not only desire that place, but more importantly, desire and delight in the person who dwells as the temple. The presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who dwells in that place. To this, God is calling you. And from this, God is moving towards you. Now, some of us get this weird notion that eternal life in the new heavens and new earth is something like this. Everybody gets a harp, and they get their own personal cloud to ride on, and somehow we're transformed into those little fat cherubs, and that's what we will be like in eternity. That's the resurrection body. I'm hoping to shed that body, actually, and get a different one. But what we see here is that eternal life in the new heavens and new earth is not just about singing in the clouds forever and ever. Nor is it about you reuniting with your friends and loved ones. Nor is it about you escaping life on earth or just going to a better place up in the sky. It's not about relocation. It's about entering into the presence of the holy triune God and experiencing His love, His light, and His life with all of the people of God forever and ever, world without end. It is this thing that Jesus is preparing for us. It is this place that He is preparing for us so that we may come and live in interpersonal, face-to-face -face communion with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that's a lot to take in on a Sunday afternoon, right? If you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by this or a little bit shocked by it all, then let me assure you that you're not the only one. Others of us who have thought about these things uh, tend to feel a little bit overwhelmed as we try to get our minds around this. But I want to remind you that the, the, even the Apostle John didn't get it in his younger age. Some of you are young and you're thinking, well, I'm going to live forever anyway. Some of you are older and you're really longing for this life in the new heavens and new earth. And 
you're in a position similar to John's in terms of your age and experience. And you might be in a better place to grasp some of what John is saying here. The thing I hope we all get is that we are comforted by the truth and beauty and goodness of what John saw and heard in this vision. Now, one thing we need to know, and this is tying in with what we've seen in the, Re- in the book of Revelation, is that no matter how good or bad your place in this world might be, that means no matter what kind of good or bad you might be experiencing right now in your daily life, The hope of the coming of God in the new heavens and new earth and this new temple city is intended to reorient your life, to get you to see that there is more to life than the disorientation you're experiencing at this moment. In other words, this vision, this revelation of the promise of God coming is intended to reshape your life, to reorient your heart, to get you focused on something beyond the here and now. And it is this kind of hope that sustains us. What did John see and what must we see as we look at this? Well, we must see a new paradise where God's city comes down from heaven to dwell with us. A new city where God's presence, God's temple, God's people come together and dwell in communion. A new paradise where God comforts His people and wipes away their tears. That's what we must see. Peter Lightheart says in a very interesting article on the ascension of Jesus Christ, something uh, that I, I think fits nicely here in our study of Revelation. He says, much of the book of Revelation envisions humanity's ascent to heaven. But at the very end of Revelation, John stands on the last of the Bible's mountains to see the heavenly Jerusalem descend. He goes on to say, heaven is not our home, is not our ultimate destiny. Heaven is where things happen first, where our nature is first enthroned in Christ Jesus, but the last part of our journey slopes downward from heaven to earth. Ascension is not the end point of the human story. We ascend in order to descend, and the end comes when heaven breaks through the firmament to couple with earth, when heaven and earth comes to, or when heaven comes to earth to heavenize it, to heavenize it. And I like that notion. At the end of all things, when heaven and earth come together, things will be as God intended when He created the heavens and the earth. Remember, it is our sin that has broken the world. It is our sin that has divided heaven and earth. But it is the righteousness of Christ that will bring them back together. According to the apostles and prophets, the new heavens and new earth that are revealed to us here are the eternal reality that we will experience and embrace on the day of the Lord. When all of the great and precious promises of the Lord are fulfilled and realized once and for all in Christ. The new heavens and the new earth are the eternal reality, the place where we will experience the presence of God with the people of God forever and ever. 
As Augustine wrote in his book, The City of God, God will be so known by us and shall be so much before us that we shall see Him by the Spirit in ourselves, in one another, in Himself, in the new heavens and the new earth, in every created thing which shall then exist, and also by the body we shall see Him in every body which the keen vision of the eye of the spiritual body shall reach. Those of you who are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia know as we've read through the book of Revelation that St. John did what those of Narnia did. He went further up and further in to the new heavens and the new earth. He went further up and further in than Augustine or C.S. Lewis or any of us has ever been able to go. And he saw what Jesus was preparing. He saw this new city, this new temple, a new heavens and earth and a new garden. And so far up to this point, it seems that all we've talked about are the places, but I want you to see something else here. It's not just the places that he saw, but the people in those places. You see here that when John saw this vision of the new heavens and new earth, he had far more on his mind than pearly gates and roomy mansions and streets of gold and golden harps. He reveals to us what Jesus revealed to him, and that is that Jesus laid down his life and took it up again in order to give the old heavens and the old earth an extreme makeover. And that is why you hear that voice from the throne say, Behold, I am making all things new. John saw the new Jerusalem. The radiant city of the Lord's peace, shalom, descending to the new heavens and new earth. He saw the city that Jesus prepared for His people, for you. And He saw the city of God coming to dwell with man. Now more than one commentator that I read this week made a great deal out of this point that in these visions towards the end of the book of Revelation, you have a tale of two cities. You have Babylon you have the New Jerusalem. You also have a conflict between the whore and the bride. And you've got a tension here between the city of man and the city of God. These things are in conflict with each other. We have already seen the destructive end of Babylon, and now we are seeing the salvific beginning of the New Jerusalem. A beginning without end. This idea of a tale of two cities reminded me of some of the words of Dickens. And those of you who haven't read Dickens, but maybe you've seen Batman, The Dark Knight Rises, will know that these words came from the very end of that movie. Uh, tale of two cities. Listen to this. As we, as we imagine what John saw, as we try to get ourselves into his sandals and, and envision what that would be like, imagine that John saw the light and the life of the new city temple. And I can almost imagine him saying something like this in a very Dickens sort of way. I see a beautiful city and a brilliant people rising from the abyss. And in their struggles to be truly free, in their triumphs and defeats, I see the evil of this time and of the present, of the previous time, of which this is the natural birth, gradually wearing out. 
I see the lives for which Christ laid down His life, peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. I see a woman with a child upon her breast who bears Christ's name. I see a father, aged and bent, but otherwise restored and faithful to all His men in His healing office and at peace. I see a good old man enriching others with all he has and passing peacefully to his reward. I see that Christ holds a sanctuary in their hearts and in the hearts of their descendants, generations hence. It is a far, far better thing that Christ does than He's ever done. And it is a far, far better rest that He gives them than they have ever known. What do you see? Maybe you just see words on a page. Maybe you just see gold and stones and colors and wonder, what's that all about? What you should see is the triune God drawing near to dwell with you, keeping His promises. If you look carefully enough by faith, then you will see what John saw. You will see the new heavens and the new earth and those who are reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit, those who are being equipped for life in the regeneration. You will see the hand of the Father wiping away tears and restoring life and healing wounds. You will see the blood of the Lamb washing away sins, even your sins, your cowardice, your money-grubbing, your sexual confusions and corruptions, your power grabs, your lies and half-truths, your pride and your arrogance, your despair, your hatred, your anger, your malice, your betrayals, your denials, and many, many more. You will see the water of the Spirit of life welling up to eternal life and flowing through the dry and the dead until they come to new life in Christ. You will see the light of the glory of God illuminating everything. We're at a crossroads because we're told early in the vision that those who commit sins and do detestable things are not allowed in the city. And while some of us might look around and say, that's good because I know a lot of people who don't deserve to be in this city, let me as your pastor say to you, neither do we. What in the world are we doing here? How in the world did we get into this city, into this temple? How in the world did we gain access into the new heavens and new earth? Well, if you don't know by now, let me remind you, it is by the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. If you look carefully enough by faith, you will see what John saw. And there will come a day when, in the light of the glory of God illuminating all things, you will look and perhaps you will see, written in the Lamb's book of life, even your name. Written on purpose, not by mistake written in blood, which can never be blotted out or removed, written from before the foundations of the earth. Why are you here? How did you get in? Who gives you the right to come into the presence of God and be face to face with Father, Son, Holy Spirit? It is Christ alone.
And when you look by faith into these things, perhaps you will hear a song in your head that says, Lay down your sweet and weary head. The night has fallen. You have come to journey's end. Why do you weep? What are these tears upon your face? Soon you will see all of your fears pass away and you will rest safe in the arms of God. Let us pray together.